Welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans, and this is episode 130. Man, I uh, when I started these podcasts, uh, I had no idea how long they'd last or if anybody would even listen to them, and, and uh, I definitely didn't think about 130 episodes. I hoped it would be successful, and it has been um, thanks to you. Yeah, you right now, the one who's listening to this, thank you so much for tuning in today and trying to get better for your mule. we got a lot of good stuff to talk about today, and uh, this is a uh, Mule Tip Tuesday episode particularly, and so i got a bunch of good questions here, but I want to start talking about something that is really important to me in mulemanship, and that is optimism. Um... I think to be successful, you need to have optimism. Just like I just mentioned about this podcast, 130 episodes. I had no idea that I'd be able to do this many episodes, but I sure hoped that I could. And I was optimistic that it would be a success. And it has been pretty dang cool. So you got to have some optimism. When you go out and work with your mules and you're going through the checklist and you're doing these things that we talk about all the time, you got to be optimistic that things are going to work out for you. Now, they don't always do, and that's okay. You start over, and you're optimistic yet again that maybe the second time will be better. But you got to be optimistic. You got to be hoping and have a mindset that you are going to change and you're, you are going to improve. If you don't think you can change, if you don't think you can improve, then we get into that pessimistic attitude. And it's hard to be successful being pessimistic all the time. And if you have ever been around somebody that is maybe chronically pessimistic, uh, they can be a, a very draining uh, a very draining individual, a very, uh, uh, I don't know, depressing individual. And hopefully... Your optimism will bring them out of their pessimistic ways. <laughs> so, um, Sky, and I, Sky and I talk about this often: the difference between between being maybe too optimistic and realistic. You know, um, I am very much overly optimistic, and sometimes I. Sometimes I may be too optimistic in a negative, that it becomes a negative thing. Like I, you know, I, I'm like, you know, as it's starting to rain on us, I'll say, nah, it ain't, it ain't going to rain today. Now this, this ain't going to last. And those storm clouds are building and that lightning comes in there and nah, it ain't, it ain't going to rain. Don't worry guys. And I can, I can kind of joke like that, but really in my mind, I know obviously it's raining and I put on my rain slicker. And I'm going to deal with it, though, because I'm optimistic that the storm will pass, and it will. But as I work with my mules, and that's kind of what I want to tie this optimistic optimistic view into, as you're doing these things, you need to be optimistic that they are going to work out for you, that things are going to get better for you. If you don't, then what's the point of doing these things? If you don't think they're going to get better, what? Why? why do it? Why would you do it? If things aren't going to be better for you. 
If you're not sure, that's when you use other people's confidence to kind of ride their coattails of confidence, so to speak, until you get your own confidence that will give you that optimism. So I'm here to tell you, you know, as we've as we've worked hard to change and to improve, um, you know, ho- hopefully, hopefully you guys can get some confidence and some optimism from my experiences. A lot of you listening have been to one of my clinics and at all of my clinics, I show up and I tell you, I, I usually say something along these lines that life is too short to learn from your own experience. Life is too short to learn from your own experiences. So you need to be learning from the experiences of others. And I'm here to save you some time because this is what I do my whole life is work with these mules and these horses, these donkeys and these people. This is all I do. And um, so you guys can learn from my experiences. And hopefully if we follow those steps that I present, you guys can get your own confidence and your own optimism. So optimism is so important. You need to be determined to change and to improve and know that if you follow these things that we've laid out for you, that things will change and improve. Speaking of change, things will change. Uh, I'm going to be doing a debrief on our most recent clinic in Elkhart, Iowa. And one of my friends, in fact, she was, she was one of the very first, um, the first two, uh, clinic hosts. And she, she was one of them that I ever had out of state. And, uh, so I joked that she's been, you know, she's been coming to my clinic since, you know, back when I still had hair (laughs) on my head. So, um, but she said something, she said, Hey, you, you have changed a lot because she hasn't been to a clinic in probably three years, at least we're thinking maybe four or at least four seasons that is. And she says, you, you have changed a lot. Your clinic is very different. I said, yeah, it's been three or four years since you've been to one of my clinics. Of course they're going to change. I hope they're changing. I hope three, four, five years from now, my clinics are completely different. And we kind of talked about this and, um, there was a, there was a, another friend of mine there and uh, he's been to three of my clinics in the past couple months. He's come to three of them. And I said, John, don't you think, uh, you know, you've been to three clinics in the last two months. What do you think? And he said, all of them were completely different. I teach the checklist. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about there. If you don't, I just did a uh, our last week's Mule Tip Tuesday. I think it was episode 128 or 129. I can't remember. Uh, was on the groundwork checklist, for example, and I've done the snafflebit checklist. So you can find those here on this podcast and, of course, on our video library, tsmules.com. But the checklist doesn't change because there's only so many things you can do with a mule. I mean, there's there's only so many things. You can, you can go forward or you can go backwards. You can go left with the front end. You can go right with the front end. You go left with the hind end and right with the hind end. And I usually joke and say, hopefully... You guys don't go up and down, <laughs> but you can, you can always, you can always be improving 
on the ways that you achieve those movements or the combinations of those movements. So that's kind of the checklist, but also the change that goes within the checklist. How I work on those things inside the checklist changes continually, almost daily, for sure, yearly, there's changes. Absolutely. So, you know, if you come to a clinic two years ago, you come to a clinic like this week, we're getting ready for uh, Lubbock, Texas. And that's where I'm coming to you from today is the Freightliner Studio hanging out here in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, just hang out next to a cotton field and a cotton field on one side and a big indoor arena on the other side. So, but this week's clinic in Lubbock, Texas will absolutely be different than last week in Elkhart, Iowa, for sure. So be optimistic, be willing and determined to change and to improve and then to apply it. You got to get there and apply that stuff. So. All right, let's jump into our Mule Tip Tuesday questions, huh? First one comes from Cindy. I'm going to kill this last name. Uh, Cindy Giocomini. <laughs> Sorry, Cindy, if I just killed that name. Uh, I have a 14-year-old mule. We have worked through a lot of stuff in the last year. The issue I want to focus on is when I take him back to his pen to turn him out, he bolts away while kicking up. He has done it from when I first got him. I had him doing way better. I would take the halter off, wrap it around his neck. So I was standing, holding on to him, and he couldn't get away. And if he just stood there, I'd give him treats and rub all over him and walk away. All of a sudden, he started doing it again, and he is able to blast away even if I have the rope around him and holding on to it. What can I do to change this behavior? It is so dangerous. Thank you. All right, Cindy. Yeah, that's a... That is, a, that is a little dangerous behavior, and it's also super annoying. Um, I like my mules, when I go through the gate, to stand and wait for me. So this is how I do it. And we, we, we apply all the groundwork pieces all the way through here. Okay, so I, I open the gate, and depending on how the gate operates, I either push it in or pull the gate out. And then I send the mule in to the pen. I send them in. That's just like the very first step we practice in our groundwork checklist, okay? The very first step, that's clearing the front, sending the mule. I, I use that right through the gate, step one, basically, okay? And as they go through the gate, I'm going to roll the hinds so that the hindquarters, the hip, rolls away from me and the mule faces me. And then I'm going to shut the gate. So picture sending the mule through, uh, rolling the hinds, having them face up and stop. Okay, now I've shut the gate behind me okay if you've set it up right the mule is facing the gate facing you okay and i like to be able to take the halter off and have my mule just wait right there for me and not be in a hurry to leave me this takes some time you got to be a you know you kind of have to be desirable for your mule and you kind of have had to have set some good things up during your ride too um just poking out through the field and doing nothing poking down the trail doing nothing not asking a lot of questions is not going to particularly make you desirable or your mule won't really know that you're aware of them. They won't, won't really be with you, so you turn them out and they can't wait to get away from you. That's not what I want to have happening to me. So when I roll the hinds around, what I'll do is I'll go to take that halter off. And just like if, if any of you have, if you've seen my video that I put on my video library called Catching with Quality, 
you'll see how we catch those mules and we always bend them laterally. We use lateral flexion right when we catch them, tip their nose to the left, halter them on the left. I do the same exact thing when I take the halter off. So a lot of people just take them in there and the mule's standing straight and rigid. They take the halter off, the mule tips away from them. So I'm going to bend that mule to the left and make sure the head is to the left and down slightly. And I'll take the halter off that way. And as I, as I go to take it off, they should totally wait for me. So these are all things that I'm looking for, okay? And then I should be able to walk away from that mule, which would just be a step or two to the gate. You know, I'm not way out there in the pasture or anything. I'm just right there by the gate. Now, to fix up this little issue you have going here, Cindy, I would make sure that you follow those things I just said. And then I would go to take that halter off. You got that nose tip to you. Don't worry about putting the lead rope around his neck because that doesn't help you anyways. You can't really hold him that lead rope just hanging around the neck because most of these mules these days, I see very, very few taught to lead using a rope. I teach my mules to lead using a rope, typically. Put a lariat rope around their neck, lead them from the pole and the throat latch. But, but most of them aren't. Most of them aren't taught that, so they don't know what that true lead is like. Okay? So putting the rope just around the neck a lot of times won't help you. Uh, so I just would disregard that completely, and I'd just work with the halter. I'd go take the, I would go to take the halter off, and maybe i just undo that halter slightly, just make it a little loose so that I can maybe lower the halter just a little bit. Like maybe I just, I just adjusted it. And then I would let go uh, of the halter. Maybe take a step back, keeping that lead rope. That mule might think it's turned loose and ready to go. And if it, if it goes to leave, you just kind of bump it to you. Just bump, bump the mule a little bit with that lead rope, tip it back to you, and go again. This time I would, I would put the halter back where it originally was, a little higher on the nose. And I'd step back. And maybe it thinks it's time to leave again. Because you've you've adjust the halter to step back, maybe he thinks it's time to go. So you you check on that, and I would just keep repeating this, just keep readjusting the halter a little lower, then put it back a little higher, and step back over and over until they just wait for you. Okay, maybe I would lead them out further into the corral or the paddock or the pasture, or whatever. Lead them out further, and then go back to the gate again. Go back to the gate. And leave them alone. I might go into the paddock further and I might do some groundwork inside the paddock. Like, so picture 20 feet from the gate, 30 feet from the gate, do a bunch of groundwork, go through my checklist completely, and then uh, go back to the gate and just stand there. So I'm trying to maybe make that gate a little bit more desirable, more so than that pasture is, or that paddock, or that corral is. Okay. I might go through that quite a few times, go back to the gate, tip the nose to me. And then uh, I'm, I'm making sure that when I take the halter completely off, I am right there by the gate so that, uh, you know, I can just step back or step out because they might still take off. So say they say you did this and then they took off running, Cindy, I would just let them go for a second, go back out there catch them again and they might be a little hard to catch at that moment um they might have their tail in a nine and they're running around the pasture that's all right get them to hook onto you out there catch them again and i would i might get them caught 
and lead them right back to the gate, take the halter off right there at the gate. And they might turn and bust away again. I'll go back out there, catch them again, lead them back to the gate, take off the halter. So my, th this whole session might be 20 minutes of catching and letting go, catching and letting go. But I do that until you kind of break some of these habits. See, mules are absolutely creatures of routine. They love routine. They love routine. They learn routine. Um, equine, all equine, horses, mules, donkeys, they are very routine-driven animals. They they are very timely and routine. So um, you, you might have to build a new routine here. So that routine, that mule, it might not have anything to do with necessarily behavior as far as, you know, getting bad about it. It just, just making a new routine and it's getting stuck in their head. This is what they do every time. This is how they do it. So you might have to break up that routine. I would not do the treat thing. The treat thing obviously doesn't work for this particular. You're just sitting there loving it and giving them treats is not going to be enough of, of you're not going to get that meal in optimal learning frame of mind by doing that. That's not going to help you. Uh, you know, food rewards are effective. They do like food. And I'm not going to argue with that, that you can get a lot of things taught using food, but changing undesirable behaviors with, with food and treats is generally not going to be the best idea. You, you're going to have to do some, do some moving, get them thinking. You're going to have to get them just slightly out of their comfort zone and then bring them back to their comfort zone where you want them to be. So it's going to take you some time to, to build that. So thanks for the question. Let me know what you think. Next question um, from my friend Ron Erickson up in Wisconsin. Ron says, hey, my question relates to Edith, my 13-year-old Molly Mule. Lately, we have started noticing that she has started to sweat around her ears, neck, and shoulders. Sometimes it's when she's in the pasture with no signs of exercise or running. She also does this when out camping tied to a high line or in a pen. It happens in the morning, afternoon, or evening with no signs of stress. Or am I just not seeing what's making her stressed? She seems to be okay in her bodily functions. She's also standing calm when this happens. Uh, Ron, um, it, it may be the way the mule is dealing with heat. Uh, if this has been happening lately, you know, you guys have had a hot summer up there. It's even been kind of warm into the fall here um, up there in your country. So... Uh, it, it could be some way of dealing with the heat. This is a question better geared to a veterinarian than to, to me. I'm just a, what would I be? A, a mule behaviorist. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I am. I'm just a teacher. Um, but I don't, I don't have the answer for this one, Ron. Uh, I don't know what to tell you on that. I would talk to your vet. They would have a much better idea of what is going on there for sure. But thanks for the question anyways, Ron. Uh, Rosemary Weg Wegman. And I think she's Rosemary from Germany. Hello, Ty. First of all, I'd like you to know that I very much enjoy your weekly newsletter. For those of you that don't know, we send out a, a weekly newsletter with a little training tip. It's free. You can sign up for that newsletter on my website, tsmeals.com. Anyways, I very much enjoy your weekly newsletter and all of the inspiring work you do. I own three Andalusian mules. I want them uh, for work on my farm here in southern Germany. The mule in question is six years of age and still kind of a colt in ways. I have two issues with him I'd like to address. When 
When I do groundwork with him, he seems to get bored and doesn't volunteer a good forward pace even when I change the challenges. Uh, I like to take him out to familiarize him with the environment, with all the traffic and agricultural machines and equipment that are on our roads. Also, uh, this is more inspiring to him than the work in the paddock. So uh, let me answer that question real quick here. Because she goes on and this kind of goes into her second question. All right. Um, when you're doing your groundwork and he does, and he seems to get bored, okay, and doesn't give you a good forward pace. First of all, the whole board thing, it's important you all know that the whole board thing is very, very interesting because um, it's, a, it's a little bit of anthropomorphism. We're kind of putting our human emotions into the mule's mind here. Mules don't get bored the way that we get bored. The, you know, we are, we have a lot more going on in our heads. Uh, you're thinking about the future. You're thinking about the past. Humans are really, humans have a hard time focusing on the moment or being present in the moment. Mules are excellent at being in the moment. Um, they don't plan for the future further than finding immediate comfort. And they don't look to the past further than the last lesson or maybe the last moment where they were uncomfortable. Okay. So when we think they're bored, um, that might be, you, you may be getting bored. Typically when, when the human says that my meal's bored, it's usually them that's bored just because you are bored in the groundwork or bored in the movements doesn't mean that they necessarily are. Okay. So that's the first thing I want to want to say. Um, you think about the mule, being out in the pasture, they spend their whole day just standing around doing nothing most of the time. And then they walk over there, they eat, they walk over there, they drink, they walk over there, they poop. Okay. They, uh, so, so they don't, they don't need the engagement that a human seems to need. All right. So with that being said, if your groundwork is feeling dull though, or getting dull, or you're having a hard time with that forward motion, like you're, you're talking about there, then I would, say a couple things. First, I would say, make sure you are asking enough out of the mule. Uh, I mentioned that optimal learning frame of mind earlier. You got to get a little curiosity in there. You got to get a, a little, uh, you got to get a little arousal. You got to get just a little bit of stress, just a little anxiety, slightly getting them out of that parasympathetic nervous system. And then you got to offer them a release and leave them alone and bring them back into that parasympathetic nervous, nervous system. Okay. So you're, 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 you're toggling back and forth on the edge of rest and digest and Hey, pay attention and work. Now there's so many studies now, you guys, that it's really, really difficult for you to argue that, um, that, that optimal learning frame of mind is not completely in the dead comfort zone. Like, you know, just standing there, if, if you keep it completely comfortable the entire time, the entire time, there's not a lot of learning going to happen. Now, you, it might not be eventful and it may not be, um, you know, you may not have any troubles and you might think it was the most wonderful ride or most wonderful groundwork session you ever had because it was, it was non-dramatic and, and very simple. And I understand how good that might feel to you, but it's important to know that you got to, you got to, you got to slightly arouse these mules. You got to get them a little curious. And and sometimes that to, to get that, you got to give them 
just a little bit of discomfort. They got to get a little uncomfortable and then you help them kind of search for the answer. You back off and then you let them get comfortable again and they get their little release, their little reward. So this is the optimal learning. Okay. So if you're, if your groundwork is pretty flat, meaning you don't have a lot of changes, like it's just like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, just rhythmic and even that's good that you can achieve that. In fact, that's impressive that you can achieve that rhythm and very easily uh, get those steps accomplished. But you you you're, you may not be making any progress. You may not be making any progress in that mule's learning, okay? Which also will get them a little dull. If they're not being engaged mentally, if you're not engaging that and getting them thinking and looking and searching, then they're not going to learn anything and then they'll get dull and then they they kind of start tuning you out before you know it and it just becomes as routine as going to get a drink so you might step in there and roll the hinds with a little bit more authority you might step in there and move that front end with a little bit of uh a little bit of forward like a like move it let's go punctualness you know and and then you back off and leave them alone Okay, so that's how you can get them really engaged, really learning. All right, so that's going to help you in that groundwork. Now, she goes on, uh, Rosemary goes on here and says, so I pony him with one of my horses whom he shares paddock and pasture with. In the beginning, everything went very well, but lately he likes to nip my horse at times. Fortunately, my horse is quite call about this. Coal, I wonder what that means over there. C-O-L-L, quite coal um about this but i don't like it uh it doesn't make any difference which side he is led on what i have tried is to let the mule run free in the paddock and drive him with the horse who i'm riding until the mule joins us when i subsequently pony the mule outside the nipping isn't as frequent do you have any tips for me yeah so when you know when you are leading when you're ponying your mule off of the horse it is, it is just as if you're leading the mule on the ground, only you're a little taller. It's amazing. Uh, I, I see this quite commonly. You, you'll have these standards on the ground, but you get in the saddle and your standards completely change on how you want the mule to lead. I want the mule to lead the same when I'm on the, I'm on the ground or I'm in the saddle. So if the mule goes to pass, for example, I'm going to bump the mule back. If that mule goes to nip my horse, that horse is basically me. So if I'm riding and they nip or get after my riding animal, that is equivalent of them getting after you if you're on the ground. You would not tolerate that on the ground. So if if that mule went to nip my horse that I'm riding or my mule that I'm riding, bit it in the butt, okay? I'm going to stop my horse or my mule. I'm going to maybe back that mule up. I might, I might bump on that leader up with quite a lot of firmness and get that mule back. Uh, maybe they're not as engaged. Maybe I got to get them into that optimal frame of learning like we talked about earlier. So maybe I got to maybe I got to send that mule somewhere. Maybe I got to turn around and I might roll that mule's hinds while I'm riding my riding animal. Um, I might do some of that. I'm going to get that mule thinking. Maybe I try a little bit. Um, you're doing good. Uh, if, if that mule is really aggressive with your riding horse, I think you did a good thing there by moving that mule around in the corral from your riding animal that gives your riding animal a ton of confidence by the way so if you if you have an animal that is lacking confidence that's a great way to build confidence in your riding animal is to move another animal that's why cow working is so incredible for your animals 
but also working other horses or mules off of your horse or mule, that does a lot of good stuff for them. I, I've just seen mules just blossom from things like that. So that help, and that also get the other mule lined out a little bit and get them a little bit more hooked on and aware. It sounds like this mule you're talking about just needs a bit more mental engagement. And it sounds like maybe it's it's maybe the work you've been doing has just been a little too flat, a little too flat, meaning um, not a lot of highs and lows in there. You got to get some highs in there, get that mule up and engaged, and then you got to have some lows in there. You back off, you leave them completely alone, you let them soak, rest, and digest. So, anyways, Rosemary, that was some. Those were some great questions. I appreciate that all the way from Germany. Uh, that's great. Great. we got people all over. So, hey, and don't forget, if you have a question for Mule Tip Tuesday, just send me an email, ty at tsmules.com, and I'm happy to help you. Uh, put in the subject line, question for Mule Tip Tuesday. Write your question. Tell me your name. Tell me where you're from, and uh, we'll, we'll answer it on the show here. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. Thank one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Hey, we want to thank our sponsors, Western Mule Magazine. Ben and Anita Tennyson do a amazing job with their magazine. I've been writing for them for a few years now, and uh, they're great. Look up westernmulemagazine.com and check them out. I need to thank my friend, Mr. Ben Lewis at Roman Home. Mr. Ben has designed a really awesome tent. It's a cross between a wall tent and a range teepee. It's built to take tough weather, high winds. Craftsmanship is amazing. And it's made right here in the USA, right here in Utah, USA. And uh, right now, Ben has a special going on. You can save 500 bucks and uh, go to romanhome.com roman spelled r-o-a-m-i-n romanhome.com and uh, tell Ben hello tell him Ty sent you alright we're back with Mule Tip Tuesday on our everyday mulemanship podcast got a couple more great questions coming right up for you uh, this one comes from Jim Stotts Hello, Ty. One of your more recent outreaches was titled How to Get Your Mule Confident Being Left Alone. Uh, this was this was a little uh, tip that I put in my free weekly newsletter, okay? How to Get Your Mule Confident Being Left Alone. My question for you is about tying up the high line, tying up to the high line, which you stated is a great tool. I see it almost as a patience pull. I assume due to the ability of the mule to move about more is why you prefer this over a hitching post. Let me know. Thanks. Yeah, Jim. So, uh, you know, a lot of you um, have herd bound issues. Uh, in fact, if you own more than one mule or more than one horse or more than one donkey, so if you have a multiple equine, you have herd bound animals. They're all herd bound and they do herd up. I mean, amazingly, they like to be a herd that is so natural for them. They're all going to be herd bound. It's just a matter of how we deal with it. Now, a lot of you have troubles getting your mule to leave another mule. So if we're out riding together and you wanted to break off and go up on that hill and leave me, 
um, a lot of people have a hard time getting their mule to leave the herd. Okay. That's the most common herd bound that I see. That's the most common right there. The second most common though, is that mule being left. A lot of those mules that get left cannot live without that other mule, that other horse. They have a hard time. And that is the second most common that I see. Um, in fact, Sky has been working with her mule Cupcake on, on this very thing. Um, I'm pretty confident that I could get on Cupcake and I could leave the herd and ride and I could get her to go. That's not a problem really. But if we all left Cupcake, Sky's mule, <laughs> she would just, she'd have a heck of a time. Not that she's not going to buck her throw a fit in that way, but she is going to get worked up. She's going to be dripping sweat. She's going to be real worried and it's not good. And it's, and the mule loses its centeredness and pushes and pulls. And that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing. And you know, any herd bound thing always comes back to how, how well centered they are. And you know, a lot of people, the, the third most common and this is what the article was particularly about, was mules that are left behind at the corral or back at camp or at home or at the barn, and you leave them in the pen. This is, this is the third most common type of herd-bound behavior that I see is being left in the crowd. And a lot of them have just a heck of a hard time with this, being left alone. And so I give, a, I give you a few tips uh, in that newsletter. Um, you know, about how to fix this. And I'm not going to go into those tips on here because you can go read the newsletter that hopefully you are subscribed to. And if you're not subscribed, go to tsmeals.com. And uh, I think it's a pop-up. I think my website has a little pop-up right when you go to my website that says subscribe to our newsletter right there in the front. So um, anyways, you can subscribe and, uh, and I'll try to maybe post that article on my website soon too for you. Um, so one of the suggestions, and this is kind of what Jim is asking about here, is um, about using a high line. Uh, I love using a high line. So this is how I set up at my house. So I got the mules on the high line. I got spots for five mules. And so maybe I maybe I work all these mules. I ride and go through my, my business with them. And okay. And I will take one by one those mules off of the high line. All right one at a time as I work them. And then I get to the last meal. That last meal is all alone. Maybe this meal is the herd bound one that it just can't be left. They're having a hard time. Well, I've, I've kind of taken one at a time away and kind of ease into it rather than taking them all away. That would really, really throw a fit. Uh, they'd really throw a fit if I did that, likely if they're this miserable. Um, so I'm just going to do one at a time as I go through and do my work. And I prefer the high line for the freedom of movement. I don't, so this is not a patient's pulled gym. Um, this is a high line. So big difference. Um, you got two poles on this and you got a line in between the two poles and they're tied to that line. The freedom of movement is the big deal. And the way that they can move is a big deal when they're on a patient's pole. And then that's the second best, a patient's pole or whatever you want to call it. I don't know why we call it a patient's pole, I guess. Um, but, because I don't call it a patient's line. It's just a high line. Um, so just tie them to a pole. Uh, you know, 
they can move around the pole, but there's no quality of, of picking up on that lead rope when they do go on it. It's just they run into the end of the lead rope or, or around the pole they go. The high line, see, if they, if they go this way and they start walking forward, eventually they hit the end of that line, and it, it has some give to it, and it's going to roll the hinds around, okay? And then maybe they walk over there to the other side, and they each time that that line catches it, it has a little give to it, and typically the mule will, will roll the hindquarters around if they got a lot of forward motion to it. Um but it allows quite a lot of movement. And if you've listened very long to this podcast, any of you, then you have heard me say many times that I like to give the mule the freedom to go so they make the choice to stay. So that's why I like using a high line. And if you don't have a high line, yeah, a, a pole would be second best, I, I suppose, because they could move around the pole. And that freedom of movement helps a lot with that, that mind. It helps significantly. When you tie them to a post, you'll get them pawing. You'll get them pawing. Now, they, they're going to paw at a pole and at a high line probably too. But since they have so much freedom of movement, they don't tend to stop and paw so much on the on the high line or a pole, okay? But on a, a, at a post, they can't really move forward or, or back and hardly side to side at all. So, you know, the next thing they start doing is start pawing, and that's not good for their brain either. Um, so, yeah, I prefer that high line. And... One of the most important things, too, when you're working on getting a mule to be better being left alone, one of the best ways to do it also is, and I, I mentioned that little example of my high line where I'll have all my mules on the high line for the day and I take take them away one by one. Maybe the mule that, I, that I'm dealing with the herdbound issues, I might ride that one first and get that mule's mind really mentally engaged and try to do a really good job, ask a lot of questions, give a lot of rewards. So it wouldn't be just a plunking down the trail ride. It would be an, a very engaging ride. I'd be asking a lot of questions. I'd ask them to move each quarter quite a lot. It'd be it'd be pretty engaging. So um, I would be doing that, and then I would tie them to the high line, and then I would start taking the others away when they're in a really good frame of mind, uh, and, and they'd be, you know, this mule would be better to deal with the herd bound that way. It, it's so much about the mind more than, the body or how you're going to tie them up or what you use to tie them up. It's just so much about that brain. So that's where I would start. Okay. Good question, Jim. Now, you know, I uh, appreciate that. All right. Our last question comes from Tustin Lance. I believe Tustin is from uh, my home state of Utah. So uh, and Tustin has had a few questions and, and I've answered some of those on the email. This one we're going to do on the show today. So, Tustin says, hey, so I finally got to try to do some of the groundwork with my mule today. It seems to me like she has no idea what I'm asking her to do, or I'm just a terrible trainer. Laugh out loud. Um, she's a bit resistant to lead. I'm thinking it has little to do with a new environment altogether since I just got her home yesterday. When I try to get her to do a circle, she only wants to turn and face me. She does not want to move in a circle no matter if I'm on her side. I'm trying to move her from the rear with some drive from the rope. Uh, is it possible my rope is too short? Thanks a ton for getting back to me uh, the way you do. I'm just as green at this as my mule. Thanks. Okay, Tustin. So when you're when you're beginning this groundwork, it's important that you go in order of the steps. Um, now I've referred Tustin to my 
video library and and that's where i'd you know going through those groundwork steps in order is where i would start right there you know i don't start with a circle so tustin go back and watch those videos because step one is not a circle step one is clearing the front and sending them one direction or the other now when you start by clearing the front you get those shoulders to yield away from you and that is so key to building this because you just get that front end. So if I'm facing the mules, which it sounds like the mule wants to do a lot to you, just face you, that's great. That's the second best angle. Um, there's better angles, and you'll have to watch all them videos to get a better idea what those are. Ideally, if I wanted to move the, say, the right front foot, I want to move the mule's right front foot, I would be standing on the mule's right side slightly, uh, in front of the shoulder and just kind of maybe two feet from the eye. Okay. So I'm pretty close right there. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk a 45 degree angle away from the eye and the shoulder. And I would use my rein. I'd be pointing to my left, which was for the mule's right. And I'd use my flag on the, the left side of the mule's neck. And that flag would kind of come across, um, past the mule's head. So the mule would tip its nose away from the flag, really. And you'd tap your flag at the middle of the neck. So that's how I would set it up. And you, you'd get a nice little clearing the front move. Now, if they're facing you, like we mentioned just before, that's the second best angle. So it's not quite as the one, not quite as good as the one I just shared with you, but it's still pretty good. And you're facing it just right in front of it. Again, I would point to my left, which would be pointing to the mule's right. I would start walking just a couple of steps that way. I would tap my flag in the middle of the neck on that left side of the mule. And I would wait until they reached that right front foot out and away from me. And then I, I would reward it. So you, so I, I just start by building one little step at, the at a time. This is the way we start our groundwork classes in the clinics. One piece at a time, you reward them for that step. From then, from there, you go into the circles. And once you have that forward motion of clearing that front, it's easier for you to get that circle going. And in that circle, if they're having a hard time moving forward, you keep directing them. Make sure that your rein is pointed where you want to go. Make sure you check on your angles. If I'm trying to get forward motion from that mule, I'm going to be behind the shoulder. My belly button is going to be pointed toward the mule's elbow. I'm going to be standing about a 45-degree angle off of the mule. I would be, again, having my lead out there, pointing where I want the mule to go, thinking about where I want the mule to go. And then I'd use my flag. To help me out so if they don't want to move i tap them on the butt a little bit um they'll move so that's how i'd set it up testing um you might go back and check on some of them videos because you're likely missing that very first step clearing the front that's where you got to start right there so anyways i think that'll do it for today friends on our questions you know as you guys are out there working on these mules remember to be optimistic things are going to get better things are going to improve and then you're going to apply it Enjoy your time. Remember, you, you're doing this for fun. Have some fun while you're doing it. Put a smile on. Like I say every, in every clinic, you know, the bigger your smile, the better your meal will operate for you. So keep smiling. Keep having fun. And, hey, don't forget, if you have a question for Mule Tip Tuesday, if you would like me to, to answer your question here on this show, be, be sure to send me an email, ty at tsmules.com. And I'd be happy to answer your question and help you out. All right. Hey, until next time, God bless you. And we will see you down the road.